You can start. Yes. <laughs> hey, Nathan. Hey, Ashley. How are you? Great. Nobody gives a fuck. <laughs> Thank you. That is the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. Um, so this is our first podcast. This is a f- or not our first podcast, but okay. our first. No, it's probably our first. We should probably. It's kind of like the first time. Do you tell them it's your first time? Or do you just let them figure it out when you woefully underperform? Well, if you know it's their first time, yeah. <laughs> but then you got to do it together. But is this your first time or are you lying about it? I guess we'll see. Lying about it? Are we lying to ourselves about it? I lied to myself about everything. So this is our first uh, <laughs> episode of our new podcast. And it is called, wait for it. Hometown Horrors. See, and I don't like the name Hometown Horrors. Because you can't really emphasize the second syllable in horror very well. So it sounds like we're talking about Hometown Horrors. And sometimes we are. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe sometimes we are. But it sounds like we're about to do like a top 10 list of prostitutes in our hometown. Which is fine. We can do that one day. <laughs> I know lots of prostitutes. They live like down the street from me. Okay. that You might need to turn that into somebody. That might be like human trafficking. Anyway. So the gist of our podcast is Jism. murder. <laughs> the, g- <laughs> the gist of our podcast. Let's we never actually gist. got out of the eighth grade. <laughs> So the gist of our podcast <laughs> is talking about murder. We're both kind of like uh, true crime junkies. And we'll tell you why one day maybe our stories of how we got into crime, crime. and our lives of crime. crime. Not real lives of crime, like our interest in crime. Sometimes. Maybe a little bit of our lives in crime. Sometimes, maybe. I don't know. Do you ever like think that like you are capable of murder? Like you'd be a serial killer? I'm absolute. Okay. Maybe not serial killer, but I'm absolutely capable of murder. How about you? Yeah. Sometimes I think about it and I worry about it. Maybe I'll be a serial killer one day. Because sometimes you you're work- like, these people don't start killing until they're like in their 40s. I still have like a long time to go until I'm like in my 40s. Maybe. That's not necessarily true. Sometimes it's I mean, in the 20s. I know, but sometimes it's in the 40s. So there's still that possibility of like, yo, I could still murder somebody or be a serial you could, killer. You could still like, like have that moment that changes everything. Like right. whatever it is that that clicks with them and take out your family and right. not your family, but like prostitutes. I'm not really worried down about the street. them. I'm more worried about like <laughs> after that, I'm gonna have to live in like prison because I'll probably get caught because there's so no, much like technology. You have above average intelligence, <clears throat> so you'd be okay for Maybe. a while. I don't know. I might. The be. FBI's been watching you since we were in middle school. It's oh fine. God. Oh my God, no, They'll they never have. find you. They've all been watching me. They're listening now. Um, I think I'm capable of murder because if anybody ever tried to mess with my kids or my family, I would like slice them in a heartbeat. But as far as like murder, murder, like out for vengeance murder, I don't think I could. I, don't know, I think I'm capable of it. I just don't think I would do it. But not, think- what about for fun? <laughs> like what if you killed somebody like, you know, you said you're capable of it. Like someone messed with your daughter and you like slice them up and they dead. You know what I mean? And then you're like, ooh, I like it. That gave me a good feeling. And you get all high from it. And then you're like. You know, wanna. I would probably kill myself instead because would that would make me. Yeah, I would be ashamed of liking that. And since I grew up as a Southern Baptist, I'm not allowed to have pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you pleasure yourself every night. <laughs> but that's besides the point. What's my magic wand got to do with this? <laughs> What's that okay. got to do with this? Who knows? 
it never has anything to do with any of it. And that's why we're talking about murder. Murder. Or muck duck. And crime. Muck duck. Muck duck soup. Thank you. Come again. Should we do? That <laughs> <laughs> might have been Should slightly racist. <laughs> Is there any, is that, there's not a spectrum of racism. It's either racist or it's not. <laughs> Look, there is going to be a spectrum here in my reality. Okay. I live in a different world than you do. All right. So um, just to let you guys know, Nathan and I are lovers. We're star-crossed lovers. <gasps> yeah, secret lovers. Yeah. No, no we're not. No, but We've seriously, been- we are. We've been best friends for a really long time, and we both grew up in the same town. And why that's relevant is actually because that's what's going to kick off our first story. Mm-hmm. Um, so should we just jump right into the action? Do it. Jump in. Make sure you have your floaties on. It's time to murder. I mean, to listen to some murder. Our first story comes from um, Shepherdsville, Kentucky. Um, Nathan and I, as none of you will know, um, grew up in a town just south of Louisville. And I say Louisville and like people that are not from there call it like Louisville or Louisville or whatever. To me, it's just Louisville. So, <laughs> so um, if you've never heard of it, it's the place where they have the Derby. Derby. And Kentucky Fried Chicken's here. Okay. But that's not Louisville. Shut the fuck that's up. like Kentucky. But <laughs> the, anyways. So we are, we're from Shepherdsville and it is exactly as country as it sounds. Um. It's located in Bullock County, which is like a primarily white area, and its population really boomed as a result of <laughs> like white flight in probably like the late 60s and early 70s. So I don't know how Nathan's family got to the area, but I know my family got to the area because um, it has it's like it's a small town, but it also like is access to the city for work and stuff. <laughs> so um, our story starts in the summer of 1999. Okay, so I was um, in seventh grade. How about you? Oh, yeah, duh. Fuck, we're in the same year. <laughs> the same thing, we're the same age. And I remember at the end of our yearbooks, it said 1999, and I would <laughs> scribble out people's thing to make it say 1969. Party likes 1969. <laughs> and I thought I was going to get in so much trouble. But I did not. So I always wonder if people are alive. Okay, anyway, so <laughs> the summer of 1999. Um, This uh, story starts on the north side of town because I was preparing for the seventh grade and I was begging my mom to get me tickets to the Backstreet Boys concert because they were on tour and they were coming to Lexington and Lexington was a little bit of a drive. Anyway, she did end up getting me tickets, but um, that's probably the highlight of the story because it all goes downhill from that summer. Okay, so meanwhile, while I'm worrying about the Backstreet Boys and am I going to get to see them or not and just, um, you know, profess my love to Kevin, Jessica Dishon spends the summer preparing to start her senior year at Bullet Central High School, which is one of the high schools in Shepherdsville. Um, okay, so I've never met Jessica. It is a small town, so I'm sure I've probably, like, seen her somewhere before and just never knew it. Like, you know, the I think in 2010, the population was close to 11,000 people, so um, it's a small town. I think my mom actually, like, dated one of her cousins or something because everybody knows everybody, and if they don't, then they know somebody who knows somebody. Okay, so. But your mom dated a lot of people, so <laughs> they definitely know her. So Jessica went missing on September 10th, 1999. Okay, the first remarkable thing about this, I think, is that people just don't go missing in Shepherdsville. I mean, occasionally, like, there is, like, a murder here or there, but people generally don't just, like, disappear. Um, 
I don't know. Maybe it's because we're all freaking related to each other. It's mainly like murder suicides. Meth labs are big, but people don't just disappear. So um, I remember watching the news when I, you know, when this first broke and the police were kind of baffled because they couldn't figure out how a teen who was really looking forward to her senior year could just vanish out of her driveway. Actually, her car was still in the driveway. They found her purse, her cell phone, her backpack, her keys, and one of her shoes um, inside of her car. She's like Cinderella, kind of. <laughs> Except she doesn't get a happy ending. But I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the investigation is initially botched at the beginning, like like so many of these stories, because if it wasn't botched, I don't think it would end up being a story. Um, but it really wasn't through any fault of the responding officer, uh, David Greenwell. He was a rookie cop at the time. And he called the lead detective to the crime scene more than once, but they denied his request for assistance. Denied, so, bitch. <laughs> those stupid little shits could have maybe figured it out a lot sooner um, had they showed up, but they didn't. So it was days before an actual <laughs> it was days before an actual detective actually showed up. So police and family members searched and searched and searched, and for 17 days they could not find her. Um, and when they did find her, obviously they found her dead. Okay. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like I said, murder is, I mean, people get murdered like in Bullock County, but like I said, it's usually like a domestic dispute of some sort. Like a cat. Right. Totally domestic, like a cat. And her, her body was recovered um, from a ditch off of a rural country road in a wooded area of Mount Washington, which is the next town over from Shepherdsville, where I also lived. And um, evidence showed that she was likely killed elsewhere and then moved to that location. It was almost 15 years before this theory was confirmed. So um, there is basically like a lot of shit that's ha- that happens in this case. But um, we'll start with Bucky. David, also known as Bucky Brooks, because I don't think you can live in the little country. <laughs> I don't think you can live in a little country town without having like a degrading nickname of some sort. What's yours, Ashley? <laughs> what was mine? <laughs> Can anyone remember? <laughs> what was yours? What is... You tell us, guys, if anybody is listening, what <laughs> our trashy nicknames are. Okay. We need trashy nicknames. Trashy country, Kentucky nicknames. Okay. So, David Bucky Brooks, he's a nearby neighbor of the Dishons. He actually, his property lines the Dishons property. So, he was initially charged with Jessica's murder. Okay, look, he's not exactly what you would call an educated man. He's kind of... Slow. <laughs> I mean... He's like okay. the definition. Like, if you don't live in Kentucky and you, like, think about Kentucky, like, my view of, like, how people are in, like, Arkansas and shit, that's how Bucky Brooks is. Sorry, Arkansasians? Like, toothless, mullet, like... <laughs> he actually doesn't have a mullet now. I don't know if he did before. He did. Okay, so this is what happens. Bucky is not an educated man, and in fact, later in news reports, when people, uh, when a, a reporter asked him once, "Does it bother you that people call you uneducated?" and he actually responded with, "Like, no, nobody out here is educated in Bullock County," <laughs> <laughs> which is not true because I have a freaking master's degree. That's not fair. So anyway, in what? and where'd you get it? None of your business. So interestingly. The Brooks family, uh, like I said, owned property next door to the additions where they operated a water business. I don't know what a water business is, and I didn't really care enough to like go deep down that rabbit hole, but they operated a water business. Um, so the question is, is that a coincidence or not? So the judge eventually declares a mistrial in 2003 because, you know, they charge him with the murder. 
And actually, um, the reason they declare a mistrial is because one of the detectives said that Bucky Brooks failed a polygraph test and you can't actually use a polygraph test as evidence. It's not admissible. So it was declared a mistrial after two years. He was finally released from the local jail, local county jail. Let's go back a second. Let's talk about the guy who, you know, the Bucky. What was he? No, the guy who like. Wait, we're, I'll, I'll get there in a minute. The guy that you're gonna get back to the guy that let it slip. I don't know what we're talking about. Let what slip? Is there a deeper the meaning? Is this slip, a metaphor? There was a polygraph. Oh, in the trial. yeah. Okay. So the detective said that Bucky failed a polygraph test and he said that on the stand during the trial. And so the judge is all pissy like uh, you can't bring a polygraph in here as evidence. So that uh, declares a mistrial because you can't tell the jury things that they shouldn't know. Right. I want to talk shit about that detective, though. One time I was skateboarding and he it's like charlie you know him i don't remember like you've been yeah it was like you've been hassled my friend's stepdad yeah he hassled me he said he was gonna call the cops on me for skateboarding still pissed go ahead fuck i just found hair in my coffee that's not all you'll find hair in (laughs) so he gets off on a technicality is what people are saying so they're like oh well if you failed a polygraph he really did get away with murder um everybody knows it so i heard that he did it because small town people talk and i just assumed it was true and it was just one of those sad things that would never be right. proven. So kind of like Michael Jackson. <laughs> okay, sure. So <laughs> was he real or not? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> when Bucky was asked after the trial by a reporter why he thought he was the only suspect in the case, he said, "My opinion was that we had the water company right close to the Dishon home, and we was just the scapegoat for them. That's what I'm thinking." I don't know. It's just like a really bad Mississippi, like Georgia thing there. I don't do voices. Okay. So I moved away in 2005. Okay. And every once in a while, um, I still Google this case just to see if there are any new developments. So Jessica Dishon goes missing in September of 1999. 17 days later, her body is found. They charge Bucky Brooks with the murder, declare a mistrial. And I Google it occasionally. So I heard that Bullock County hired a cold case investigator, and I just hoped that new evidence against Bucky would be found and that he would eventually get what was coming to him, like we all did. Because he did it. Everybody knew it. I mean, people in that town got online, which is all we can do besides, like, cook meth. (laughs) (laughs) I have, like, a master's degree in that. (laughs) In cooking meth. Residents get online, and they gossiped about, um, about him. We actually wait. We actually wrote a book in a PDF file. You guys can find it on how to childproof your meth lab. Okay, go ahead. Except, the whole issue is that actually Bucky didn't kill Jessica. So dun 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 dun. dun. And all those years, the public shamed him, and probably myself included a little bit, um, and treated him like a leper. Were for not because it wasn't actually uh, Bucky that killed her. It was her uncle Stanley who killed her. Now Stanley. Let's talk about Stanley Steamer for a second, okay? I looked at his picture, and when he was first arraigned in court, like, he looked like, he looked like a, like a rapist, child molester, just like the stereotypical thing that you have, because he had, like, the mullet thing going on, except he was kind of losing his hair on top, and you know those glasses that, like, all the dads had in the late 80s, early 90s with, like, the really big frames? Still has Yeah, those. he was wearing those. <laughs> <laughs> he was wearing those in 2013, so, Yeah. 
Um, like he like looks like your typical child molester. So Google him. His name is Stanley Edition. Okay, so he was. Is he still in there? Well, He's I'm gonna get still. to that. If you'd shut up. Oh. Okay. okay. He was formally indicted on these charges <laughs> plus kidnapping in October 2013. 14. Where'd my kid go? He's napping. Okay. 14 years after Jessica was kidnapped and murdered. However, when this news was released, Stanley was already serving time in jail. Guess what for? B- molesting. Sexual molestation, rape, and sodomy. Dating all the way back to... Sodomy. Ni- dating all the way back to 1982. Now, these are unrelated to the Dishon case, but... Um, I mean, you'll only find that to be technically true because it turns out... But there's proof that he's been wrecking rectums since back then. It turns out this guy was molesting Jessica too, unfortunately, which is really sad. He actually lived with her family until she was 13. But I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. So um, recently, in the last, I guess it was close to 2014, 2015, um, new physical evidence was released. Let's get physical. Yes. Physical. It was in April of 2014. So a couple of inmates that were in jail with Stanley, like I said, on other charges of rape, sodomy, molestation, um, Stanley spoke to them and um, he told them, uh, what did he tell them? What did he say? What did he say? He said, hide your kids. Hide your wife. He actually. Nobody's safe out here. Um, he told some stuff to the inmates. I can't remember exactly what it was now, but it was enough to make um, police decide to search the barn on the property where Jessica's body was originally found. Like, why didn't they search that to begin with? I still don't know. But Right, exactly. <laughs> because they fucked it up from the beginning. So the police found a pillowcase and a fitted sheet, and the fitted sheet matched exactly the other sheet that was still on Jessica's bed. Although Jessica's mom is not exactly sure when it went missing. Um, Jessica's room... It, as of 2014 was still in the exact state it was when she disappeared which is i kind of eerie but i mean that is really eerie, you grieve how you grieve right um so at that point police believe that stanley dishon had held and tortured jessica in that barn before he killed her and um one of the prison informants claimed that stanley bragged about doing all this he's like that's so creepy yeah like one of the things he said was like um like i i tortured that bitch i think was a direct quote from him wow. Okay, so peace. Um, additionally, both inmates reported that Stanley admitted to each of them separately that he had killed Jessica because, precisely because she was about to tell her family how he had been molesting her. One of the inmates said Jessica had recently learned Stanley had been molesting his own daughter and stepdaughter, and Jessica was tired of it, and she was going to tell. Um, and interestingly enough, Stanley Dishon pleaded guilty to those crimes of molesting um, his daughter and, and stepdaughter in 2004, which, you know, five years after Jessica was going to say something. So, at this point, we now know that he has molested several other victims besides Jessica. And the inmate, okay, this is kind of freaky uh, and makes me think this may not have been the first time he did something crazy like this. The inmate also claimed that Stanley took one of Jessica's shoes, chopped off her foot, and kept it, and took a pair of her underwear. So, I'm not saying, like, Stanley's a serial killer or anything, but it just makes me think that he's been doing, like, creepy shit for a long time. Right. I mean, it's totally possible. He's definitely a serial rapist. Yeah. So it's definitely, I'm sure it's not outside of his realm to have killed somebody before. Right. So, okay, investigators never actually found her missing shoe or her missing foot. So it's... I never knew that her foot was missing. That's why when you said the Cinderella thing earlier, I was like, you're fucking terrible. (laughs) No, I thought you were talking about just just her shoe. (laughs) Okay. So, um... Jessica's dad, Mike, and uh, he reported that shortly after Jessica disappeared, of course, this doesn't come out until like 35 years later or something. 
not 35. I'm just being exaggerating. But he, um, Jessica's dad, Mike, reported that shortly after Jessica disappeared, Stanley told him he had a premonition that Jessica was buried in the river bottoms. When the family went to search the area about two miles away from where Jessica's body was found, Stanley had to leave suddenly because he started feeling sick. Probably his guilt or something kicking in or his fear. So, right. or just something bad that he ate earlier, but <laughs> maybe so. We'll never know. Probably we'll stopped never really know. at that White Castle right off of sixty-five. Right, and that's he's like, mm, this isn't agreeing <laughs> with me, guys. I got to go. <laughs> okay, so reporters interviewed Stanley's former wife, who he was married to at the time of Jessica's disappearance. She admitted she thought it was strange that nobody ever interviewed Stanley because his sleeping patterns were erratic after Jessica disappeared, and he acted really strangely at the time. So it would have been fucking nice if somebody had spoken up, but nobody did. So um, I guess the things that I was left with um, after, you know, I dove down that uh, Google hole. (laughs) um, The property was searched during the original investigation. So I wanted to know, like, where the evidence was in 1999. And when was the evidence placed in the barn? Or did they just miss it the first time? I mean, because it seems to me they were pretty damn lucky to have found it. He could have disposed of it at any time in the last 14 years. Exactly. That's really weird. He also had an alibi, supposedly, that he was working the day of the murder. I, obviously, that was never confirmed because he did it. Um, but anyway, it's worth noting that as of July 2014, before um, Stanley had pled guilty, because he did eventually plead guilty, Mike, Jessica's dad, still believed that Bucky had something to do with the murder. So, I imagine it's kind of hard to believe that your own brother molested, raped, kidnapped, and killed your daughter. And a state of denial is probably understandable. But uh, in January of 2015, Stanley went to court and he confessed softly, according to news reports, that he was responsible for Jessica's death. I don't know how that looks or sounds, but softly. Not hardly, but softly. I killed her. I don't know. I mean, it's... it's, yeah, probably. So ultimately, um, his murder charge was amended to manslaughter, and he entered in an Alfred plea. Nathan, do you know what an Alfred plea is? Think of the West Memphis Three. An Alfred plea? It's a plea that you get that you're offered. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's a plea to like help like amend you down. Okay. Yes. From so, like say he was, you know. No, shut up. Okay, it's where you get to, it's where you get to maintain your innocence, but you acknowledge that there's enough evidence to be convicted. So you're like, I'm not saying I did it, but I see how you could think it. Like I see oh, how I you could that think was, that way. That's kind of like no contest or something, right? I I think they might be closely related, but not the same thing. But anyway, like cousins. Or yeah, something? like kissing cousins. Like we all are mm. in Kentucky. Yeah. So he also pled guilty to charges of incest, sodomy, and rape in four other cases on the same day. So this guy, Woo! he had a pretty horrible day. <laughs> Um, he will be eligible. No, he had a good day. Everybody else had a horrible day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) So from 2015, um, I guess now a year and some change later, he'll be eligible for eligible for parole in 15 years. And, um, as a sad ending, Jessica's parents did get divorced. So not only did he ruin everybody's lives who, you know, he molested, raped, and killed, but also their families. Okay, so I was going to end it there, but I just I got to go back to Bucky because this guy gets a really bad rap in Shepherdsville. And maybe some of it's deserving, but um, after his name was cleared, 
he confessed to having trouble being able to find a job, being able to keep employment because, um, there was just so much controversy surrounding his name. Nobody wanted to give this guy a chance, even though his name had been cleared. Um, so some of the people in the community, they rallied around him. The, the man who was the sheriff at the time, I can't remember his name, like Paul something maybe. Um, he was like, this family really needs our help. And so there was like a fund set up to help them or an address or something where you could send donations. Okay. So you're like, okay, good. We're going to help this guy get back on his feet. Um, after he's been wrongfully accused, like he may not be the brightest crayon in the box, but he doesn't deserve to live a life of like poverty and like obscurity after something like this. Right. So that's what you think. But I encourage you, uh, if you have free time and, um, you're ridiculously bored, you should Google this guy, David Bucky Brooks, because you should see the things people say about him online. Anyway, so I was Googling him this afternoon. And on- I didn't feel it. <laughs> okay. On t- in June, um, in the very beginning of this month, I don't want to say like June 1st or something, um, three videos surfaced on YouTube along with a Facebook post by a man whose Facebook profile says he lives in Shepherdsville. And he posted three videos with the caption, meet the real David Bucky Brooks. He's been living on my mom's property for three years. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> okay. Not paying his rent for months now. He has so many code and health department violations to count. We're in the process of evicting them, but it's a long process. And he goes on and on and on and on. Basically, what happens is, I guess, this guy is probably acting as a landlord for his mom's property. And him and his wife show up where David Bucky um, Brooks and his family are living. And it's not up to code. And in that video, I mean, it did look pretty, it looked pretty rough. Um, There was like all kinds of trash and stuff outside. So um, in the video, you can hear them going back and forth, disputing and kind of fussing at each other. Um, I don't know. It just, it gets, it gets really ridiculous and all and kind of like stereotypically country funny because right. very stereotypical, <laughs> like hillbilly. Right. Exactly. So it's definitely taken in Kentucky. Like I can't verify this guy's existence, but I saw the, I bleed blue shirts. So, right. um, any one of them, Bucky says like he wants to, he like threatens to murder. Right. Okay. Well shut the fuck up and stop telling my story. Okay. So, um, the guy asks, and I think the guy's name is like Thomas or something. He asks Bucky to move his car so that he can start cleaning his yard or, you know, because it's just so trashy. There's so much crap out there. And, um, so there's this woman who, the man that is allegedly Bucky, he calls her Irene, which is Bucky Brooks's wife's name. And she goes, he wants our vehicle out of the way so we can clean up our nasty ass mess. (laughs) And then, and then you hear her say something like, he's getting his gun. And then, or maybe, yeah. And and then, and then like the wife who's recording everything of the guy who like owns the property, she's like, it better be, or maybe it was him. I don't remember anymore. But something like, it better be a big one. And then Bucky's like, oh, and then, and then this is my favorite part. Bucky's like, I'm going to shoot this motherfucker and put him out of his misery. Come here. Bring my gun here. I want to shoot this fat motherfucker out of here. The snobby looking bastard. And these are direct quotes. He looks like a dick sucker to me, but you know, I can't prove that. So, and then he goes on and he says something about the health department and CPS. He's like, come down here. I just got to go to court because I'm going to get me some money. Hell. And then he goes, hell, you want to record something? Record my dick. Mm-hmm. I saw that. <laughs> so, one so, in the comments directed me toward that. Thank you, commenter. So, even though the story of Jessica Edition is over, the saga and, you know, may she rest in peace 
there will never be um, an end to the drama of uh, this family, Bucky Brooks and his family in Shepherdsville. People have a lot of awful Poor things Bucky. to say about him, but there are some people out there who defend him. And so I just wish him... He was just living in the wrong place at the wrong time. I guess so. I wish him the best and hopefully he can get his uh, housing situation worked out. All right. So I talked for forever. I'm going to shut up now and you're going to tell me about your hometown horror all right let's jump into the action we have a thing for jumping into the action we'll tell you another day maybe (laughs) about it okay i'm i don't know i really like this one it's i was going through murders and stuff and like unsolved cases and i found this guy blair adams and he was a 31 year old canadian from surrey british columbia that was found dead in a parking lot in knoxville tennessee in july of 1996 so you're telling me a canadian was found dead in tennessee yes in tennessee Mm, sounds like a country song it is do you want to know how he got there is it about the rascal flats yes Yes, actually tell me they were on the roof of this porn house or something okay (laughs) okay (laughs) Okay, friends and family of Blair mentioned him being a charming and overall happy man. During the summer of 1996, people around him started noticing his usual demeanor changing. Are you saying December of 1996? Is that what you said? Summer of 1996. Oh, the summer of 1996. Okay. Dur- Sorry, I should enunciate. Yeah, more. enunciate because During we were nine. During the summer of 1996, we were nine. <laughs> That sounds like another song. People around him started noticing his usual demeanor changing. His mother says Blair began having mood swings. Mm-hmm. They were wild. His mother, Sandra Edwards, said, Something was obviously very much the matter. He hadn't been sleeping well. Something was wrong. I asked him numerous times, What was wrong? And he said, I don't think I should tell you about it. And to this day, I don't know what it is. So there's your lesson, parents. You better... Probe the crap out of your kids to get your answers. <laughs> don't, don't. Just keep going. Ford probe them. <laughs> okay, sorry. Your Ford probe. Ashley had a Ford probe. What's a time? Okay. They don't even know Did what probes are. Mm-hmm. Alien probes. Probe me. Okay. On, <laughs> on Friday, July 5th, 1996, Blair emptied out his bank account of $6,000 and retrieved the contents of his safe deposit box, which consisted of thousands of dollars in jewelry, gold, and platinum, which is really weird. Why do people have, like, jewelry, gold, and platinum? Wait, the only platinum I've ever heard of is a platinum record. Okay, so, right. question. How old is he? He's 31. Okay. We went over that. Okay, I don't remember. Exactly. No, that's okay. <laughs> I didn't remember about Jessica's foot. I wonder if they ever... Did they ever find her foot? I said they didn't. It's like you don't even listen. Oh, sorry. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. No, I'm waiting for you. They found... <laughs> he you? emptied his safety deposit box of platinum. Right. Of jewelry, gold, and platinum. Of thousands of dollars in it. And he was unmarried and single and 31. Like, that's weird that he has jewelry, gold, and platinum. That is like, kind of up in there. Unless it's like... Maybe it's a Canadian that, thing. You know, inherited <laughs> it's a canadian thing you wouldn't understand blame I canada on the back of my jeep <laughs> okay <laughs> two days later on sunday july 7th blair tried to leave canada by crossing the border into the united states no he didn't was, mm, oh yes he did girl <clears throat> but guess what happened what happened they said nah no they denied him due to him being a single man with such large amounts of money <laughs> okay i didn't know where that which, was going right well they uh, you know the border patrol they probed him right 
that he fit the profile of a drug trafficker because mm. he was, you know, single, unmarried, young, and with a large sum of money. So they're like, mm. yeah, nothing to You're not going to bring your crack cocaine more. up in here, up in her. No. No, he's got to go buy it. Oh, oh. From okay. America or Mexico or something, right? Americans have better crack anyway. Okay. We do. Come get our crack. It's what's for dinner. Okay. <laughs> No, we used to smoke crack all the time. Bucky used to. Um, you cannot make those accusations. Shut the fuck up and tell me about Bucky. Blair. He's been accusing us. Or Blaine, whatever to. his name is. Okay. His name is Blair Adams. Um, But anyways, I don't even remember where it was. Okay. The day after that, after he tried to get in Canada, Monday, July 6, 1996, Blair went into his job where he was the foreman of a construction company. Instead of working, Blair asked his boss for his check and then quit. That afternoon, after he quit, I know, he's really, like, erratic. He quit on a Monday, yeah. On a Monday, Tuesday. Okay, that afternoon, after he quit, Blair then spent $1,600 on a round-trip ticket to Frankfurt, Germany. Huh. Mm -hmm. And the flight was leaving the next day. Okay, Blair left the airport after he bought the tickets and went immediately to a friend's house. This friend said Blair seemed to be in a panic and he needed to get out of Canada because somebody was trying to kill him. Look, I keep looking over my shoulder right now. I know. You made I'm me like, paranoid. I, where I put the desk in this room, it's like the back, like the doors behind me. And I keep having to look behind me. But anyways, <laughs> um, <clears throat> where was I? Okay. So ADHD anyways, the said friend what? said, ADHD said, huh? Okay. Anyways. So he, was ar- uh, he, was, he was really worried because... Right, he yeah. was in a panic. He thought somebody was going to kill him. That's what his friend said. And he needed help from his friend to get across the border okay. to Canada. If you showed up at my house and you were like, you're like, I just quit my job and I emptied like my safety deposit box and I tried to get into Canada because like obviously I was being in America and they wouldn't let me in and somebody trying to kill me and I just booked a flight to Germany. I would probably like, since you know I'm in Florida now, I would have you Baker acted. I would be right. like, this guy's a nut job. Like he needs help. Right, something's going on, right. But instead, let me tell you what the friend did. Tell me. His friend told Blair he was unable to help him <laughs> get across the border. No. I'll... So did nothing for him. <laughs> so in essence, what I would have done. Exactly. Help me get across the border. Will anybody I help helped me? you get across the border the first time, didn't I? And the second time. <laughs> Anyways, okay. So the next day, on Tuesday, July 7th, instead of boarding his flight, Blair turned in his tickets to Germany and rented a car and headed back to the border of Canada. This time, mm-hmm, this time he managed to slip through. He ended up in Seattle, Washington, where according Slips to Lynette, through like that one little sperm, that one little angel nipple, fish, or however it works. That, okay, that one little nipple. <laughs> Are we talking about Gina Jackson again? I don't know. Sometimes stop. Okay. So he made it through. <laughs> He's in America. Right. Right, he's in America, in Seattle, Washington. Okay, of all places. Okay, and he buys tickets to Washington D.C. A plane ticket. So he got his. Did he get a refund from Germany, like from that ticket? I don't really know. I didn't look okay. that far into it. Okay, um, but I don't. I, I don't know. He, it says he turned. He turned in his ticket. So oh, maybe okay, he got okay, some okay. kind of like you know right, right. something. I don't know. I would just hate for there but, to be like an unused plane ticket from 1996. I was thinking maybe I could cash it in. Right, exactly. Like, can I like have a voucher, please? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like maybe. I don't. 
I don't know, but maybe. Okay, so anyways. Okay, anyways, a Lieutenant Jones who is on the case. Did I already talk about him? No. I don't know. No. Anyways, <laughs> his name is Lieutenant Jim Jones. Um, like the Jim weird. Jones? Like a Lieutenant Jim Jones, like the rapper. Do you know who Jim Jones is? Sometimes. Jim Jones was that guy that like had everybody drink the fucking Kool-Aid. <sighs> Wasn't he? Yeah, he was a cult mm, leader. I don't think that's his name. Yeah, it is. I just Googled him. Jim Mother Some. Freaking Jones. He did the ma- the mass suicide. The Mother Yeah, that was it. He's he's the Kool-Aid guy. So, mm, okay. Anyway, Lieutenant Jim Jones, what did he do about okay. he Blair? He was the chief de- He was the chief detective for the Knox County Sheriff's Department. Okay. okay. So, so he was but, but headed on the case. Okay. But how So okay. anyways, what did he what he said was he paid about Oh wait. Sorry. He paid about $770 for a one-way ticket when he could have purchased a round ticket for approximately $350 or $400. So it would have been half the price for a round-trip ticket as he paid for a one-way ticket. It just seemed very unusual. Well, your freaking pricing system seems unusual. I know, right? I'm still like, right? That's just fucked up. Don't even get me started about all the extra fees and whatever. But anyways, so anyways, Blair took his little trip to Washington, D.C. Wee! Anyways, (laughs) Blair arrived in Washington, D.C. early Wednesday morning and headed to Knoxville, more than 500 miles southwest of D.C. Like, who shows up in D.C.? Like, and I don't know if this is his first time, but you're like, yeah, there's so many sites to see, but I really wanted to go to Knoxville. I wanted to go see the University of Tennessee. I I just... I know. He rented a car and drove over 500 miles to Knoxville. That's just really weird. Hmm. See, do you think they would fly today? Do you think they would let a Canadian on a plane with a one-way ticket? <laughs> Canadians on a plane. I don't know. On a westbound train. See how far he could go. Maybe that's what he was doing. Probably. I don't know. Ex- was he was helping? going west. Maybe. Um, I think it was. <gasps> South Maybe South he was inspired by Leanne Rhymes. I'm inspired by Leanne Rhymes. Aren't we all? Mm-hmm. Okay. I've always wanted to steal <laughs> anyway. someone's husband. Okay. Give me a husband. He's mine. I'm a wrecker. I'm a home wrecker and a rectum wrecker. Okay. What did this dude do when he got to Knoxville? Okay. Um, he was first seen in Knoxville at a gas station around 5.30 that afternoon. Makes sense because he drove like 500 miles. Right. Exactly. And he complained to the gas station attendant that his car wouldn't start. <laughs> the attendant told him he had the wrong keys for the car he was driving. What? Right? Oh my God. This guy is tripping. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, so the rental car company was already closed for the day, so Blair was stranded in Knoxville until the morning. So what's Blair do? Blair hitchhikes. He hitchhikes? <laughs> he hitchhikes to a nearby hotel. A hotel. I've always wanted to try one of those. A hotel. Don't ask Totel. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, anyways, he goes to the hotel, and then he acts like really fucking weird there. Okay. And even more weird, mm-hmm. even more weird than I just showed up at the gas station and mm-hmm. I don't have the right keys for the car that I drove here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, anyways, an employee at the hotel, Tika Hartsfield, remembered Blair vividly. She says. The best way to describe him would be paranoid. 
He just was very nervous, agitated, expecting someone to come in on him even though there wasn't anybody there. I don't know who he was looking for, but he was waiting for somebody to walk in for him. The hotel security camera showed that in the space of an hour, Blair went in and out of the lobby five times before finally paying for the room. After checking in, Blair pocketed the key to his room, but instead of going to his room, he marched out of the front door and never came back. It was 7.30. Blair, what are you doing? Blair, come on, dog. Go to your room. That seems safer, right? Anyway, it was 7.37 p.m., the last time Blair Adams was known to be alive. Is this Eastern time or Central? (laughs) Oh, my God. Because I need an alibi. Eastern. Okay. Probably not, though. Okay, keep going. 12 hours later, Blair's body was found in a parking lot about a half mile from his hotel. He was knit. 12 hours? Mm Mm-hmm. 12 hours wow. after 7.37. So 7.37 in the morning. Oh, people are going to work. Okay. Right, exactly. What kind of parking lot do you know? I don't know. It's I, probably like a big lot or something. It probably was a big See, lot or, you know, I don't know. A thrifty so nickel. So then what happened? What, what <laughs> condition was his body in? His body was. Okay. Did he have his foot? Yes, he did. But he was naked from the waist down. Naked or naked? <laughs> Naked. <laughs> okay. Naked and so naked. that means something inappropriate probably happened. Maybe. Maybe. We'll get into was the, there, that's, okay, that's in the theories now. later. Um, <laughs> scattered around Blair's body was four thousand dollars in American, Canadian, and German currency. Right. That's really weird. And also, well, but he was going to go to all those places, so it makes sense. Well, well it, it doesn't kinda, make sense why he booked all those trips, but it makes sense why he would have the currency. Right. It would. If he was going to book the trips. Yeah. Right. If he was like thinking he was and like thinking he was, you know, already cashed. But I think the German currency, don't you like, don't you turn in your currency, like exchange it when you get there to the country? Well, he never showed up though. Right. So how's he have German currency? You could probably do that at an, no, he didn't go. Like maybe at an airport. I have no idea. Maybe. That's something. Maybe I don't Maybe somebody out there will know how that works. tell us. Tell us. We'll tell you how to reach us. Maybe. Tell me more. Tell me more. more. Like does he have a car? Blair didn't because he didn't have the right keys. Okay. Anyways. Besides the cash, they find a small pack lying beside him that held $2,000 worth of gold and jewelry. Was it a fanny pack? Where's the platinum? What? I don't know. It was in was his it cooch pack? pouch. I hope it was. Oh, I wasn't supposed to say that. Okay. You lost your word. That is inappropriate. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Okay. So, Lieutenant Jones, good old Lieutenant Jones, recalls the gruesome scene by saying, his pants were removed in a way not like someone would take their pants off, but in a way that someone else would remove your pants from you. His socks were turned inside out, his shoes were off, and his shirt was ripped open. Okay, I'm with you on the shirt thing, but, <laughs> I mean, men take off their clothes in, like, really messy ways sometimes. How you know m- what I mean? How many like, men have you seen undress, Ashley? <laughs> okay, I guess I'm just thinking of my husband. Or is that for another time, <laughs> another sh- episode? <laughs> for our tell-all yeah. behind the music. Behind okay. the podcast. So, his, like, his clothes, like, basically... He's naked from the waist down. His shirt's <laughs> ripped open. And they found probably like a fanny pack of some sort with his money. But his jewelry and his platinum his, is all missing. It just says golden jewelry. That's all I could find. I don't think platinum mm. was there. They probably went to okay. go make a grill. Call the jewelry store. <laughs> okay. I think you just racially profiled. 
He's white. <laughs> <laughs> I figured because he's Canadian. Right. So you're racially profiling saying the person was of a different cur. Get on with the story. A different currency. <laughs> a different. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> going on. Um, okay. At first, the authorities believed the danger Blair thought he was in was imaginary and that Blair's journey was an escape from his own delusions. But after seeing okay. the findings of his autopsy report, their minds quickly changed. Blair had sustained mm. many cuts and abrasions. Police believe some of the wounds came from fending off an attack. Blair was ultimately killed by a violent blow that ruptured his stomach. To this day, oh, no man. one knows why Blair fled Canada and how he ended up dead in Tennessee. Huh. Right. That's sad. So, and that was, I guess, like close to 20 years ago. Right. Or this month? It was maybe? 20. Yeah, it was or next was month. Summer? 20 years next month. Mm, yeah, because that was July. We should throw gotcha. a party. That's not in Knoxville. <laughs> Meet you in Knoxville. See you there. See, that, I don't know that I could live 20 years without resolution and just, like, I wonder if his mom is still alive and. Yeah, his like, family and friends still want to know what happened to him. Like, what about that friend who turned him down? Like, who was like, I'm not going to help you? I don't know. Whatever happened. So, like, do they think he was, like, attacked by multiple, heap- multiple people or just one? Or they can't really tell? They can't really tell. There's not, like, mm. they're still, like, what the fuck is happening, you know? It's still, okay, like, a mystery. Okay, so let's talk theories. Right. I need to know. Do you, do you have do any theories think? before I go into what they are? Well, at first I was, like. Said <laughs> via the internet. I was thinking maybe this guy developed a later case of schizophrenia, yep. but then that doesn't explain anything yep. after the hotel. <laughs> right, exactly. So, well, someone uh, did say it's typical behavior for a paranoid schizophrenic, and he may have thought he was being followed and confronted, and he confronted someone while in a deep psychosis, and that someone, you know, was like, they "Don't just got fuck mad with as me." Hell. Right, and they right. ended up killing. But which is weird because why wouldn't they take the shit and why would they take his pants off and flip his socks right. inside out and you know all that? Hmm. You know, was, so, so we don't know if he was sexually assaulted or not. Right, he wasn't. I oh, don't know. I don't okay. think he was. Oh my god, I felt like I need to find that. I don't know. I didn't well, do too good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think you mean well. Um, I don't. Yeah. So if they couldn't find any sperm, and they probably, I'm not saying it had to be a guy. I'm just saying like. Um, I don't know. I feel like that if they had been able to tell he had been like sodomized or like anally raped or something that you would, you would have found that like that would have been there. Huh? So I wonder what the motivation is. Did you say his money was missing? There was no sign of sexual attack. No, his money. I mean, it doesn't seem like there's $4,000 in cash laying around him. He got $6,000 and he spent $1,600 on the first plane ticket and then he rented a car and then. So he wasn't robbed. Right, he wasn't robbed. They were, it. Yeah, you know, it, it, it looks like they were looking for something. You know, his socks were turned inside out and stuff. Okay, so, so he could be into next best theory? Drug trafficking or organized crime. And um, No, you know. I'm thinking that all of the cuts and abrasions were from okay. extraterrestrials okay. trying to suck out his soul. I don't his know. colon. Okay, so... <laughs> Probably. What what is your best guess or what um, are people saying? This is the best thing I found and it makes sense is Okay. I, well I think I the drug trafficking or the organized crime or something. He was definitely involved in something he wasn't sh- supposed to. 
And but I thought he was like a like a foreman. He was a foreman extra. But I mean, you could live like a double life. True. There's a lot of people that do that. A lot of people that like you know sell drugs on the side or like you know and stuff. Like you. Exactly all the time. <laughs> Thank you. Here's my address, FBI. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're still looking. They don't care. I know. They never. That's have. like the ATF or something. Right. Exactly. Okay. They do. Yes, it is. Um. Okay. The FBI. The I, I. Okay. Um. So, anyways, the best thing. Okay, so this is the best theory I found, and it makes a lot of sense. Is that someone was looking for him, which is weird. Oh, the whole thing about him being somewhere else. They could be like, it could be he could be involved in organized crime and you know gangs and stuff like that. And I don't know if you've seen like shows and stuff on this, but gangs can put out like kind of like an APB for their like a hit. Gang. Like if you see this uh. person get them you know what i mean and right. so people again canada could you know the same gang could be active in knoxville tell them you know if you see this guy you know get him he's got this you know what i mean and so they were looking for this thing okay and so they're looking you know and whatever the thing is right and so he may have swallowed it or put it up inside him and oh my god the blow to the stomach he's... was to try to get it out to force it out and that's why his pants were off no, he swallowed the declaration the Declaration of Independence. He went to D.C. to obtain it, and then he drove to Knoxville. That makes fucking sense. He's fucking Nicolas Cage. <gasps> <laughs> he is Nicolas Cage. Um, okay. So, I wonder if they... I guess they obtained what they were looking for if they hit his stomach because it wasn't right. there anymore. It does look like they found An it, An autopsy. Right? Whatever it was. Right. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So I don't, I don't, I don't like not having resolution. Right, exactly. It's really weird, and I thought this, you know, was would be a first good one, because it's just like a good first one. Yeah, good first one, first good one, good first one. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry that I correct your grammar all the time. We both need it okay. at all, and you need a chow pal, <laughs> so you need a Xanax. Probably. All right. So those were our f- hometown, hometown horrors. horrors. Um, and when we say hometown, we lose that, uh, we lose, we use that term loosely because obviously like everywhere is somebody's hometown. Um, We're children so of the earth. Exactly. <laughs> Kumbaya. Kumbaya fucking ah. All right. Should we go into our last little segment? Yes. For the day? Yes. Okay. So we thought it would be fun. Um, I am a history nerd. And like a true crime nerd, we thought it would be fun to have a little section about historical hometown horrors. And I keep saying it like that because, again, got to emphasize that second syllable. There are no known horrors in the story. All right. Again, we're back in Kentucky. I don't know why. I guess I'm just fascinated with crime that happens in places that I've lived, even though I've never lived in this little town that we're about to talk about. So, Nathan, mm-hmm. remember that one time that a six-year-old boy... Was tried for murder? No. Enlighten me. No, that's right. Because you weren't born yet. Okay. I'm taking you back to... 1929. Okay. Good year. So, we're in Paintsville, Kentucky. Do you have any idea where that is? Eastern Kentucky. Yes. Oh, my God. You don't suck. Okay. So, it's in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. The Appalachian Mountains. Now, now, it just depends on where you're from. Some people say Appalachian. To me, it's the Appalachian Mountains. Appalachian. 
Okay. So, um, actually, Paintsville, Kentucky is currently considered one of the safest cities in Kentucky. And it's located in the Big Sandy Valley region of the mountains, whatever that means. I don't know. I'm not a hiker or anything. So, Eastern Kentucky. um, Typically, um, these days, uh, considered kind of um, depleted because of, like, the coal industry. But back then, in the 1920s, um, or I guess like in the early 1900s, Paintsville had begun to transform into like a modern American city. In 1906, they received their first telephone service, and all the streets were paved a couple years later. Hello. Um, hi. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Checking out the in new 19 In 1926, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was like, what? In 1926, Paintsville residents, they first received public water, and the city's fire department was established, okay? So they're moving on at Paintsville residents. They're getting the modern day amenities. Mm. Well, on May 18th, 1929, five months before the great stock market crash, you know, that one, the beginning of the Great Depression. Oh, yeah. On this that day, thing. Carl, little Carl, mm. Carl, and I don't know how to say his last name. It's Mahan or Man, Carl Mahan. We're going to go with Mahan. <laughs> Carl Mahan is a little six-year-old boy, and he lives in Paintsville. Uh, like I said, it's a coal mining town at this time. Carl is hanging out with his friend Cecil. Cecil's eight. Carl is six. It's about 10 in the morning. They are out collecting pieces of scrap metal to sell. because Scrapper. they, Yeah. Because <laughs> they heard a rumor that um, one of the guys in town was buying uh, scrap metal for, like, pennies or something and i mean you could probably buy like a brand new house with like a nickel back then so um they're collecting pieces of scrap metal to sell when they get into an argument over what a newspaper at the time called the prize piece of iron of the hunt so pretty much they're fighting over a piece of scrap metal (laughs) now i know that this is kentucky (laughs) (laughs) exactly Okay, so it's five months before the stock market crashes. I'm not sure how the economy there is doing. Um, I My research came up with, like, really limited information on that. Um, I'm sure there's a lot but, of books um, for that. You could have done better research. But anyways. Yeah, if I gave a shit. Right, exactly. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just, we don't really know what the economy's like, but we know these kids are fighting over scrap metal, so it probably isn't that great. Right. Especially in a small Kentucky town. So what happens is, okay, Carl's a little six-year-old boy. Cecil's eight. Cecil takes a scrap uh, of iron out of Carl's hands, and then he hits him in the face with it. <laughs> so, that reminds me of my cousin one... throwing a brick at this redhead kid's face when we were kidding. But go, go ahead. Well, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Did the little redhead kid come back with his daddy's shotgun? He t- Okay. No, I don't know. So... <laughs> According to one article, there are witnesses to this, but none of them are ever like publicly named in the paper or anything. Um, but Cecil's and Carl's um, families, they're close friends, they're even neighbors. And neighbors say that the little boys were quarreling for a while. Again, neighbors never specifically named. Um, and according to one article, none of the witnesses actually took little Carl's threat seriously. Because apparently he said something like, I'm going to shoot you. Then little Carl, six-year-old Carl, runs home into his house climbs on a chair, gets his daddy's shotgun off the wall, and he comes back, and they say he didn't say anything, or at least my sources say, you know, Carmen San Diego, And then he Where shoots eight-year-old Cecil in the chest and the abdomen. So Cecil reportedly, at this point, after being shot, still manages to run about 50 yards, calling That's for his mama. Shotguns are heavy. 
Okay, no, wait. This is Cecil after he's been shot. Right, but shotguns are heavy, though. Right? So the six-year-old kid... Okay, so Cecil reportedly, he runs about 50 yards calling for his mama before he collapses. Neighbors picked him up, put him in the car, took him to the hospital in Paintsville where he was pronounced dead upon arrival. Okay, so Carl's parents were absent. They were not at home uh, during all of this. So the teacher Um, did roll call and they just like didn't say anything. Supervise your children. No, seriously. I mean, this is... It's kind of like, it, it brings light on present day events. It just shows like... Please keep your guns locked up if you have them, okay? Because Carl's parents weren't home. Both families were awestruck in a really bad way and grief-ridden when they were told of what happened. So amazingly enough, this Carl is charged with and tried for murder. Six year old. Six year old. Six years old. Sorry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. So while people close to Carl claimed he did not understand the significance of what he'd done, he reportedly told his dad that he did mean to kill Cecil. So I guess what makes it this whole thing kind of crazy is that the court actually charged a six-year-old kid with murder. Right. So unsurprisingly, the trial was a goddamn circus, and it was very controversial. There was no precedent for trying a child that young with murder. So, of course, we're going to do it in Kentucky. Right. According to one article I read, Carl played with his friends during the trial. Mm. Another blog um, said that he laid and slept on the defense table during the trial. So, I mean, this is just a six-year-old kid, right. like, being made to sit in a courtroom, um, probably doesn't understand the weight of what's actually happened. Right. Probably doesn't <laughs> need to be standing trial. So, after only um, half an hour of deliberation, the jury comes back, and they decided that manslaughter was more fitting for him, which still, you're kind of like, huh. Right. So, Carl, he was sentenced to 15 years in reform school until he turns 21, and then he was released to his parents on bail. So, um, specific reports differ on whether or not he actually ended up at the reformatory, but due to his age, obviously a lot of protests. Right. So, newspapers uh, across the region from, like, Chicago to Lexington, they feature the story, and um, editorials demanded a review of the case. One source um, says that Carl was paroled after a short time, and then he went back to Paintsville. Another says a circuit judge issued a writ that kept Carl from being sent away because of his young age. And that ultimately he was sent home with his parents. But either way, he did not get a happy ending. Um, he got married. <laughs> the end. No. Okay. Yeah. He got married in 1947, and then he died in 1958. <gasps> Nathan, guess how he died? Shotgun. <laughs> um, it wasn't a shotgun, but he did shoot himself with a 32 <gasps> wow. caliber in Louisville. <gasps> wow. And, well, this the... Um, report said that he had ailing health problems. So I don't know what was going on with him because he wasn't that old. Maybe, th- I think, like 35. Maybe it was like Whiskey Lullaby or something. Came Probably. La, 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 la. <laughs> But his wife lived until 1999, so she wasn't, she was okay. His wife did? Oh, does he have yeah, kids? Yeah, she lived. I think he did have kids. <gasps> I think Louisville? they did have kids, yeah. Let's find them. Probably we could. I don't know. And so this is the, my question to listeners out there: If you actually freaking made it this far, number one, congratulations. Right, thank you. Um, you the best. I would like to know if you um, are part of um, Carl, and I'm again not sure about the last name. Carl Mahan's family, or um, Cecil Van Hoos was the victim's name. <gasps> I'm just curious to know, like, how these families got along later on, and like, were they a- able to recover fully? Right. Um, I mean, not fully. I mean, I know you can't ever recover after the loss of a child, but I mean, were they able to put it behind them um, and show forgiveness to each other? Or was it like this dark cloud that 
followed them around their whole lives. So, um, if you have any, any information on this or anything that we may have missed in this story, mm-hmm. we would like to hear from you. What's our email address? I don't know. You made it. No, I didn't. You were supposed to. No, you were. See, this is just like you. You put everything off until the last minute. Oh, I see. And then you expect me to cover your ass. So did you make one? No, I didn't make one. <laughs> you made Hold a Facebook. Hold on, I'll make, one, I'll make one really. <laughs> I made a Facebook. Okay, so this is what you'll do. <laughs> you'll find us on Facebook. Our Facebook name is, name, name, is Hometown Horrors. So H-O-M-E-T-O-W-N-H-O-R-R-O-R-S. I want to be really clear about that. So find us on Facebook and let us know if you know anything about this case right. or any of the other things we and, talked about today. And what our trashy names are. Oh, yeah. We need to know our trashy names, our trashy redneck names. I'm Ashley and he's Nathan. So give us some redneck names. Um, we unfortunately were not donned with them while growing up because we lived in the nicer part of the country. I mean, country? country. County. Of the county. <laughs> not co- Clearly not country, <laughs> but county, yes. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, um, next podcast we will be discussing. Exactly. <laughs> we haven't gotten so, <laughs> but we'll do it. Look forward. Look forward to our stuff. We're gonna do some real stuff. heavy stuff. <laughs> we're gonna do some stuff, and then after that, we're gonna do some stuff. So, come back for your one-way ticket to stuff on a hometown horror-bound train and stuff me. And thank you for listening. Stuff hometown horrors. Stuff me with peace murder. out. Okay. Later. And then that's how Nathan died. Got murdered. Thank you. Bye.